0: This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, online at reformedforum.org. Welcome to Historia Ecclesia, our series of conversations of the Church through history. My name is Camden Busey. Today we sit down with Daryl Hart to discuss the role of family and Sabbath, beginning with the writings of Wendell Berry. I first started to
1: read... Barry when I was uh, at Wheaton teaching there um, in the early 90s, and I had several colleagues who were huge fans of Barry, so I started reading his essays in, in a little book called What Are People For?, and, um, and two essays struck me originally. One was having to do a piece that he wrote about, um, for Harper's, why wouldn't he wouldn't use a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> and in the so he has a I think he has My a really computer. interesting critique of technology hmm. and he has a list he even made a list at one point of how to think about technology among the things included is can you take this machine down down the road to somebody local to get it fixed or not hmm. but in that essay he wrote that his wife he wrote by hand and then his wife typed up his manuscripts well the feminists some of the feminist readers of Harper's were outraged that he would give this demeaning work to his wife, so he wrote a follow up essay about feminism and and basically you know tried to argue that um, the work of a woman in the home is much more ennobling than the the, the, the office worker who just goes in and punches the clock for eight hours a day, or I mean, this is much more thoughtful than anything that I'm suggesting here. But I said, now this this is somebody who's making a really interesting point. Um,
0: and a lot of that's based on his idea of family and community,
1: and 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 a, and a home yes a home economy. I mean, uh-huh. well, he has a whole, he has a book called that. I'm pretty sure. That the home should be the, the source of the economy, so it's much more of a biblical model. The Roman, I mean, it's Romans. The Proverbs thirty one woman is a woman who's like doing it all, while the guy mm-hmm. is out at the, the gate just kind of chilling with the guys. Um, I mean, so she's Pretty doing simple. doing everything, and and um, you know, but it's it's much more of an agrarian pattern where everybody in the home on a farm pitches in, mm-hmm. and and you have kids f- f- precisely for that reason, so you get more help on on the land. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. The other other essay was on local culture. And, and again, it was... Um, and this resonates a lot with my own understanding of Christianity, I don't, and I don't want to try to baptize Barry, but that God uses the simple and the ordinary to, um, to sustain his people, especially in this era of redemptive history. So the simple and the ordinary of using human speech and preaching, using water and wine and bread and very small amounts to, in the sacraments, things like that. I think God does use the small and insignificant. And the church we're is often ins- regarded in the New Testament as people who were, who are marginal people. Mm. So he was defending the marginal people in his community back in Kentucky and the way that they stayed up late telling stories on each other's porches and things like this instead of watching television. And they they would actually provide the entertainment. Um, And again, you you can romanticize Barry at times, and he he can romanticize... I mean, it can sound as if he's romanticizing small rural communities, but there's also something that's valuable about it in in seeing a simpler way of life as being a really rewarding and rich one as well, which I thought is what he was doing. So then when it comes to... um, Later, later novels like Hannah Coulter, he has this, and I and I plan to return to this because of my own my own thoughts about membership in the church and what does it mean to belong to a communion, whether the church is a kind of moral community and what it means to belong then to the church. How what, what does church membership really mean? Um, things like that, uh, and I've and I've used the analogy of you know in some ways your your church. Membership vows are like your wedding vows, etc. I mean, so, even make more these, so
0: you've made the argument that perhaps they're even more serious,
1: right? Because it's
0: eschatological,
1: right? Exactly. But, but Barry has a really thick account <coughs> in Hannah Coulter of membership in this community. Yeah, he makes the point um, that the character Hannah Coulter wasn't it, isn't
0: Coulter at the time, but. The woman, she gets married, she marries this man, Virgil, who seems to, by many accounts, be too good for her. Mm-hmm. And, um, but as she's recalling this much later in life, she says that her love for Virgil is much larger than a single person's love for another person. And that when she married Virgil, she married the family, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he passes away... He says this early in the novel, so it's not giving anything away, but when he dies in the war, that bond is expected to remain, that she's expected to stay with the family, and she's still part of Virgil's mm-hmm. extended family and community. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a really interesting analog, and, it, and, it, and it, it's it's a very powerful way that he puts it. Right. And he, and he evokes a lot of thoughts there. I think there are a lot of analogs in the, right. in the church community there.
1: But it's also just a very attractive... A pattern of human existence. I mean, mm-hmm. and it makes a suburban existence—not to knock people in the suburbs at all. I mean, and, and as well as an urban existence, because now living where Anne and I do um, in an apartment building, we we really don't get to know many people. Um, you have to kind of go out of your way in the elevator, and that's <laughs> kind of awkward. Um, so you know, I'm not just knocking suburban, but it just makes an urban-suburban existence look pretty thin compared to that kind of. That kind of community. Now, again, it's possible to romanticize that, and um, my favorite Barry novel is uh, *World Lost*, which is about, in some ways, the downside of that community, Um, and it's about one of the members. I can't remember if it's Andy Catlett. I think it's Andy, who grows up with an uncle who's a kind of ne'er do well, Mm -hmm. and. the uncle has a di- very di- troubled life ending not well not to give away the story and, and Andy, the one who's basically telling the story is um, trying to figure out what, what it was that made his uncle tick that way so it's not as if everybody who comes out of this community is going to be fine, upstanding you know, we love the community, we're going to give, we're going to do- do- donate our time to when the harvest is going on, I mean there's all sorts of miscreants there too But he treats them very, um, sensitively, and there's a kind of judgment, moral judgment that's going on of Andy's uncle, but there's also a real empathy as well with those people who just have trouble, um, restraining themselves, Mm -hmm. and the trouble that they get themselves into when they don't. Jaber Crow is also a a very interesting, much longer novel that I need to reread, um, but that also deals with, with a kind of troubled figure, but a troubled figure who, wor- who works it out in the end. And um, so, I, I mean, I, I think <clears throat> Barry is interesting because of his understandings about technology and um, how much we are dependent on fossil fuel, um, because of his understanding of families, the importance of homes, importance of local communities, and the importance of us. Uh, the, the rewarding nature, the very enjoyable nature of simple pleasures, simple goods, um, eating a fresh tomato, mm-hmm. pulled off your one. again. Um, I, I could think of, uh, you know, I like to go to restaurants, so I can think of other things that are also enjoyable, and I can pay. Well, I can't pay, but if I if I could afford to pay, I would pay forty fifty dollars for a meal. But you know, in some ways, could that compare with some fresh basil, fresh tomato, and one in which you've put your own labors, right? Yeah, so eating the fruit of your own vine, and I and I see this this theme of simple pleasures. Other places, it's not as if Barry's the only one. I mean, I think C.S. Lewis wrote about it very effectively. He wrote about it more in the context of going to the pub and having just a pint and smoking with a friend and having a very enjoyable evening just doing that or tea and scones or something. Um, I mean, but the the pleasures don't need to be elaborate for them to be really good, and it, it it's oftentimes the human dimension, both in terms of the work that we do in, in producing mm-hmm. something, but also the human dimension as far as the interaction mm-hmm. and bonds that we have with people that I think is especially Resonates especially with me in, in Barry. And and then just, I mean, as a guy who uh, has committed himself to a way of life, um, I mean, he was a kind of a fast-track um, star in the literary world. He hit the top. And one of his essays in... Um,
0: I have a collection. I forget the title of the collection, but the subtitle is The Agrarian Essays of Wendell Barry. And he... The first one is rather long, but he recounts the story uh, of the shock that he received. He was a professor at NYU and had reached, for many, the pinnacle of that world, living, living alongside and having constant interaction with some of the elite literary people. I mean, everyone's in New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he lived that life. And he, because of certain convictions, decided to go back and take an appointment at the University of Kentucky uh, because he wanted to reconnect with the land that he grew up in. Um, it's, it's a very kind of biblical metaphor. I've been translating a lot of Hebrew lately for class, <laughs> and everything's about the land. Uh, and it's so important. And, and, and Barry just, he, he shares his convictions about that, but he just describes the confusion and the, the just <laughs> antipathy people have towards um, him wanting to go back. It's so why would you give this up? You're living in the, the literary epicenter. You're talking and having lunch and conversation with the world's best literary people. If you want to go back to Kentucky, and <laughs> and just his whole discussion on that issue is just amazing.
1: Uh, right and to see what he actually places a premium on. Uh, right, I mean that. So that that decision he made is really commendable and heroic in a lot of ways. And he really did go back and work a farm eventually. Mm. Now, some of the people who say, "Yeah, it's fine for Barry to go back and work a farm because he was still a writer and he could make money off his book," which is, is true. Yes. Um, but he, he he I mean he he tried to the best of his abilities to live the life that he that he um, that he talked about and I mean another really powerful theme and this has real resonance with people who uh, hold the covenant in in such high regard and we think about covenant children and passing on the faith to our children I mean one of the essays in his book um, What Are People For talks about the biblical expectation he he goes to the Old Testament for this that that sons will re- will s- return home that they 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 will they will go home and they will be be a part of their people mm-hmm. and and live where they grew up mm-hmm. and, and contribute to that society and take care of family and things like that
0: it's on it's on, been on my mind a lot lately in terms of my future where where I would go, and I have always had you know a yearning to go back to where I grew up, but Reed and Barry, in some sense is more galvanizing that that tendency right you
1: know but then his critique of higher education and what it does to dislocate people mm. from their from their homes and and in fact most of higher education in america i'm not sure about europe is such that i mean it's sort of expected that you won't go home i mean this is a way to liberate yourself yeah we can from come mobilized. right
0: let me ask you this in some ironic sense due to the effects of technology it might become more possible in coming decades to go back home and to live uh, that type of life that, that Barry is suggesting, but yet do your specialized task. Uh, the the more and more we are we are decoupled from a location through the internet mm-hmm. and through other means, with the advances of teleconferencing and, and you know, X Y and Z. Uh, in some strange sense, it might be possible to, to place a higher premium on where you came from, yet still be able to go along with the progression towards a specialization in, in economics. Um, right. It's, it's not conceivable to, to go back to uh, you know an agrarian society. It's just not possible. There just isn't land for it anymore. In, in, in some sense. Right. And uh, given the, the trends in the global economy, we can't all go back to being farmers. Because Although, there are other jobs to do.
1: <laughs> Although I don't know right. where the economy is. I mean, I really do think um, that the industrial turn of the last mm. <clears throat> 125 years may have really run out of steam. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're
0: running into, and now, you know, we're trying to solve global economic problems and... In, in healthcare and, and all right. these other types of things, which in many ways are the result of our of the shifts in, in how we produce our food and and uh, all these other things, a lot of our problems are
1: the result of what Barry warned against. So, I mean, I think more and more people are not starting to farm again and, and to do specialized cash crops or products, whether it's goat cheese or vineyards I yeah, mean, and, and these are these are you know again these are products that the sophisticates in, in the city are going to buy and and the problem for some people returning to the to the home is that you're not going to have the wine bar back there when, <laughs> when you go home you might have the internet but you <laughs> that's true so again it, it has to do with the simple it pleasures matured, yeah. um and whether you can ratchet down your expectations in that way but um <laughs>
0: Let me ask you about uh, ideas of Sabbath. Uh, that's another theme in, in Barry's writings. And uh, the role of community in promoting and keeping the Lord's Day. Um, what have you noticed in your studies of American Presbyterianism and our views of Sabbath and the changes that you've noticed ever even since the mm-hmm. early 20th century up until now?
1: Well, I, I guess I've been struck that um, the... That the Dutch reform have had a clear sense that probably because they lived in much more ethnic ghettos or yeah. ethnic towns. So a whole town really would shut down on the Lord's day in a way that, um, the Presbyterian tradition going back to the 18th century and living in places like Philadelphia and New York and, and places in between, um, would, they wouldn't have had the, the mass of people dominating a town perhaps the way that the Dutch immigrants in Iowa would have um, so you don't have I haven't seen the kind of writing about the Sabbath among Presbyterians the mm. way um, the way the Dutch have um, but someone like I mean like Machen I mean there was a clear sense that even into the twenties and thirties, his practice was, aside from even aside from blue laws, was <clears throat> not to do anything that um, involved breaking the Sabbath. I mean, he had just had a clear sense that that was that was wrong. So he wrote letters. He'd go on walks. I mean, he'd go to services, um, and certain times. I think one one case in particular, he and a minister in New Jersey were trying to. Um, do some work for the church regarding a, an important decision coming up before General Assembly or something, and you used the phrase of, uh, you know, this was a work of necessity and mercy if there ever was one. But there was a clear sense that there were, you know, only works of necessity and mercy. Could you right. do one those. The so, language of the right.
0: standards of Westminster. Um,
1: and, I mean, even in my own experience, um, over 50 years now living on this earth, Earth, um, I've seen a real change in in Sabbath observance. Uh, <coughs> so that my parents um, were were clear Sabbatarians um, because everyone else was, and and what seemed to change it. And I've read read some things recently about changes in the '60s and how Euro- European American society, Canadian society, changed so dramatically in the '60s, sexual revolution, etc. But I wonder how much of it had to do with television. And in my own experience, my parents' experience, it seemed like when television came in, that that's when we began to fudge the rules more. That we could get away with doing more on Sunday. So once Is we start, an
0: issue with radio.
1: I wonder. I mean, you would he think, thinks. but but I don't know what I don't know yeah. what radio stations were playing. And did they?
0: the many go off there? On Sunday, with people would not be working, we didn't have automated systems then either. But right, huh? Um, But that seems to be in in your experience when the when the drastic. I mean, when we could
1: watch sports on Sundays. Yeah. Wasn't soon thereafter that we started going out for dinner on Sundays. Mm. Um. And you know, there would have been a time when that just wasn't wasn't done. So I'm not blaming television. I just think television overall became a vehicle of tremendous cultural change. You see this in a movie, especially like um, uh, *Avalon*, where um, where it's a story of Jewish Jew- a Jewish family over three or four generations in Baltimore who um, who who grow up. They, the movie starts out with them telling stories around the Thanksgiving Day table, which is kind of ironic for Jews to be. But that's what they do, because they're Americans. Thanksgiving, it's a meal, so they do the turkey. They don't know why they eat the turkey, but they, they eat the toiki. Um, and then by the end of the movie, they're watching television on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and they're watching television with TV trays. Yeah, the Boys and, and the Lions. Right. And so television has reoriented a lot of stuff. Um. Yeah, I I don't know if we could say
0: there's any other technology that has had such a drastic impact on a society. I mean, clearly the telegraph, um, the printing press, the wristwatch, all these things had huge, just enormous impacts, but the television is just... I mean, I gotta... gotta, (laughs) I got to go with Postman on that one.
1: Right, just unbelievable. And then, and then on top of that, I mean, when you only had three networks, or in 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 England you only had four, BBC telev- four four channels, right. the same network. <laughs> you know, there there, it, there really was a kind. Even though television may have taken people away from doing other kinds of more humane or uh, humanly interactive forms of. Uh, of uh, socializing um, but even then when you only had three or four channels <clears throat> there was much more cu- cultural cohesion so that you know pretty much people were watching very similar programming now with how many ever cable channels there are internet's
0: even fragmenting
1: out. yeah so it, it's a, it that's also a curious phenomenon now as a localist I guess I should maybe try to celebrate the diversity of of the culture in that way but um I don't know I don't I don't, I don't watch TV not out of superiority it's, we can't afford cable so um and I'm and I'm blessed because every time we I travel and I do I'm in a hotel room where there is television and I I just sit there surfing through endless channel up endless channel not finding really anything much good to watch other than some sitcoms and syndication <laughs> I mean you know it's Uh, You you don't feel like you're missing much? Or, you know, sporting events, but I've wasted too much of my youth on watching television, 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 televised sports. Wow.
0: Daryl Hart is the author of Deconstructing Evangelicalism and A Secular Faith, among many other books. He's also co-written Seeking a Better Country, 300 Years of American Presbyterianism, along with John Meether. To read more from Dr. Hart, please visit oldlife.org. I'm Camden Busey, and thanks for listening to Historia Ecclesia.